The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. It's Don't Bet On It, the Vegas verdict on the biggest sports stories of the week. Cold cash over hot takes. And I'm joined by the hot take hot shot, Steve Cofield. I'm RJ Bell. And my job is to be the voice of Vegas. What a show, guys. What a show. We got Stephen A. Smith talking about religion and Josh Rosen in New York City. Yep, that sounds fascinating. Jim Mora backtracking like you've probably never seen. Also, Lamar Jackson, the Wonderlick intelligence at, with quarterbacks. Yep, that's loaded. A crossfire between people on Nick Saban's side and LeBron James' side, both attorneys. We got the Triple G Canelo fight canceled. Hottest take of the week, Johnny Manziel himself. Cofield with Get Off My Lawn. But first, and we're lucky to have Cofield tonight, and we're taping here Thursday night, pregame.com offices in Las Vegas, because we're going to start with Connor McGregor. Showtime! Listeners know, Steve, you expert in the UFC boxing, wrote for Yahoo, uh, wrote for Yahoo for many years on that topic and other outlets. So let's start with what happened. Give me just the uh, 75 second. <laughs> what happened on the ground? I'm going to say I don't know exactly everything that happened, so more news will come out. Like RJ said, this just happened today. So Conor McGregor and a band of his friends, now being labeled hooligans and thugs, decided to storm the Barclays Center in Brooklyn where they were doing media sessions for the fight card this weekend. A USC fight card goes down in Brooklyn. So what we see on video, and they're very grainy videos up on Instagram and and, uh, Twitter, is a bus full of fighters, UFC folks, and management types is backing out of Barclays, and all of a sudden, Conor McGregor and about 15 dudes are just freaking out, frenzied, and you see McGregor just picking up objects and trying to throw them at the bus. Uh, There was a small object object at first. That one didn't make it. Then he picks up one of these metal barriers, you know, like a six-foot metal barrier. Those things are probably, I mean, well in excess, I, I would think of like 100 pounds, picks it up over his head. He's running towards the bus. Someone stops him from throwing that. Then you can't really see him. And we get a follow-up video from inside the bus. And all of a sudden, you see something hurled at the front of the bus, RJ. And it smashes the front window of the bus. Now, like do, actually do, we know, do we know who threw that? I'm not going to say 100% that it was McGregor. But a lot of people believe it was McGregor. And there may be other video angles. Now, apparently, that was a dolly. You know what a dolly is? So the, the flat, kind of heavy object, uh, you know, piece of equipment to move stuff. Now, that that's pretty heavy. And if you get that in the air, and it actually... Think about how hard you have to throw something and how heavy it has to be to smash the front window of a bus and shatter it. And it seems like apparently get glass, you know, thrown back onto the bus. It seems like your main takeaway here is how strong McGregor is. Well, I think what it sets (laughs) up is, was this a guy who was just dealing with unbridled rage or was this some sort of setup? But I think you're going to find out quickly here. That if it was a setup, so it, was you a say, real, it was a real bad ploy, a promotional ploy, if that's what he was trying to do. Now, I think there's a couple questions here. One is, if it were, if it were intentional, was it in cahoots 
with the UFC or not? I think there's three possibilities. One, he lost control. McGregor lost control. Two is there was cahoots, but with the UFC. And three is McGregor planned it, but without the UFC. So if you had to go 100, let's say that I think that's logically the only possibilities. Obviously, there's nuance within them. If you had to give me odds, because you know these individuals even pretty well, is so let's go. These three numbers should add up to 100%. It's just he's enraged. McGregor lost control. Odds. 97%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? Initially, I was being super uh, cynical up on Twitter, say, like eight hours ago before I saw more details on the story. I'd say 97% out of control rage, uh, 2% uh UFC allowed him on the premises and it got out of control. 1%. This is what they wanted completely, but too many people got hurt. And I just don't believe this was the plan. And guys got hurt who are supposed to fight in the fight, right? Two fighters got hurt. Their fights are off. So he's now. Were they fighting? Were they fighting each other or they were two separate bouts? Two separate bouts. Oh my Michael Chiesa, one of the fighters actually had glasses on. And when objects came back at him, Actually, I may have the guy wrong. Michael Chiesa and Ray Borg are the ones who are hurt. Both of their fights are canceled. Wowza. And then we we do have on record Dana White calling the axe criminal and, you know, a lot of really strong words. Conflicting reports, warrant out for his arrest, uh, or that, those were Dana White's words. NYPD said there's no warrant, but we want to talk to him. Okay. He, he will be in front of police and eventually a judge. There's too much video proof of him committing these. And they're, I assume they would uh, be at the felonious level. <laughs> now, if we were, well, let's look at the odds because I put this out on Twitter and it got a big response. So this comes from Bovada. Will Conor McGregor go to prison in the calendar year of 2018? Yes, seven to one underdog. No, minus $1,600 to win a dollar, uh, you impute out the odds and take out the VIG, 12%, he goes to jail based on these odds. In prison, we can debate, you know, overnight in jail versus prison, right, which is extended, I think is w- the assessment would be if there's any ambiguousness about that. So 12% or so. Um, if I were to talk to you yesterday, day before this happened, and said, tell me about McGregor. Uh, what would be like the 30 seconds you would have said? <laughs> uh, interesting guy. Ego out of control now has made a ton of money. And I think he feels. So you think he's gotten worse? I think he's gotten worse. I think he feels infallible and untouchable. He had an incident that went down here in 2016. Here's Las Vegas at the MGM where he was at a press conference in one of the MGM theaters. There's fighters in the back of the theater. He's up on the stage. There's fans in the middle. And he got all violent worked up that day and started throwing full cans of energy drink and actually hit a couple of people in the crowd. And the Nevada State Athletic Commission fined him $150,000. He laughed at it and said, I'm never going to fight Nevada again. We pushed out here, and the fine got reduced all the way to $25,000. And I remember saying at the time, this was a serious incident. It's not, it's not the result of the incident. It's the intent. So his intent was to throw these without any care for anyone in the audience. Now, was anyone seriously hurt? We found out that someone may have been hurt and may have been paid off, but nothing super serious. But he should have been slammed in that case. He wasn't, and I think that emboldened him. 
and he's not afraid of anything. Now he's got so much money, he thinks he can buy himself and a out of uh, any problem. And he feels like he's so valuable. The UFC will always protect him and States will not come down on him if he does something like this. But I, this to me is something that New York from a, a law enforcement standpoint and from the commission standpoint, can't just turn a blind eye to and say, Hey, he's a big fighter. Who cares? And Bowden, I think that's a great word. Here's what confuses me. I could understand not saying I'd agree with it, but I could understand an athlete saying, Hey, I can be married and, you know, Magic Johnson style and have a lot of girls on the side. I could imagine Frank Sinatra style saying, I'm going to, you know, get in fights and bars, figure I'm not not going to get in any real trouble over. You could see and go back through history, uh, it could be drinking or drug use. Hey, I can, you know, drink or use drugs and I'm going to be fine. But how does throwing soda or, or energy drink cans out into a crowd like, what itch is that scratching? I kind of get the other things that, like, a entitled millionaire or, or billionaire even right. would would do. But I think about, now again, I've got, I'm a different dude, right? I think about getting, like, very rich, and I'm thinking, oh, I'd have a movie theater in the house, you know. <laughs> You'd insulate yourself against any of these risks. In a, yeah, you know, part of it, too. Yeah, yeah hey, maybe have a, you know... uh uh, you know, it'd be nice, you know, some people live, you know, this isn't being a, you know, necessarily a millionaire, but, you know, I live in a residential neighborhood, right? I don't live behind gates or guarded gates or, you know, so I see a lot of the appeal, you know, maybe even a private jet would be fun, right? <laughs> I mean, I, on Entourage, I, when they used to private jet around, it was cool, right? So, okay. But I can't just imagine thinking, you know, I want to get so rich that I can wing energy drink cans into a crowd. Yeah, but you don't believe there's a thought process that goes into snapping. I mean, have you been in a bar fight? Uh, Yes. I mean, I mean, mean, you see the way bar fights develop and a lot of times, like I've been involved in stuff and then afterwards I'm calm and I'm like, why did I just do that? That was stupid. And I think these guys, but but I think there's a distinction here and is it'd be one thing to be, let's extend the analogy. There's a bar fight going on. And you see someone sitting in the corner that had nothing to do with any of it. And you run over and smash a, a, a mirror over their head. Like, I get, well, let's, let's get getting worked up with an individual. But or I even think this is where you're missing the story. Because I didn't explain this part. So one of the fighters on the bus was Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's challenging for some sort of title. He's a number one contender, 155 guy. Well, Khabib... And a camper from McGregor's camp, Artem Loboff, got into it at a Brooklyn hotel two days ago. And at that time, this guy, Khabib, said, hey, where's Connor? So now there are stories coming out. And again, I don't know the whole story because this is all developing. There are stories coming out that basically McGregor heard about this and was like, let's go and literally flew from Ireland to come over. This is like (laughs) gangs in the street battling each other. So uh, Nurmagomedov was on that bus. Now, he obviously did not process all the risk of everyone else who was on the bus, um, just how insane this whole thing was, how criminal it was, uh, injuries. He lost his mind. And, you know, can I can I draw the comparison here? Can I draw the comparison? Because I don't think he'll be treated the same way. Conor McGregor, we already know from a promotional standpoint, is like who? In terms of being one of the great promoters as a fighter of all time. Mayweather. Yep. And I really believe that they have a lot of similarities outside of the cage or the ring. I think they run with clowns. I think they're they're drunk with their power at times. They both can be really humble and nice guys, 
But man, when they're around the wrong people or their their switch flips, this is the kind of stuff that can happen. And and uh, Floyd Mayweather, he's had it happen. Not only the arrest and jail time for terrorizing his wife and kids years ago. There's also been fights at various casinos. There's been brouhaha's out in front of his uh, swanky development with the security people. There's been allegations of hits on people shooting uh, outside of roller rink. There was a fight that broke out where oh, stuff that was, was being right thrown. up here on Boulder Highway. Yep, Crystal Palace. Uh, there, there were. Um, there's video from inside of the last five years of a big fight on the strip at Fat Burger, where Connor. I just said Connor Floyd's crew was getting into this big fight with a you know a major uh, musical star, and they're starting to kind of have parallel existences here. I think a fascinating topic that I haven't seen the right documentary or the right even interview on. And I'm not saying it's not out there. And if anyone can recommend something at RJ in Vegas on Twitter is guys that are especially urban, that are street guys around the gangs is they come up into a certain age. Their value system is, is X and then they get rich. And all of a sudden now their value system is supposed to be very different. And the struggle with that, and and I'm not trying to say that people breaking the law should be let off or anything, but I I think that's something you can empathize with, the idea that your whole self-image is one thing, and then one day it's supposed to be something else. This is a lot of pro athletes. It's not just these two guys. And a, a few more examples with Floyd. Floyd grew up with a father, or grew up around a father and an uncle who have had incidents with women, violent incidents with women. So what happened to Floyd? He's had multiple Incidents with women. Conor McGregor rolled and ran with a rough crew when he was growing up. There, another layer of the story is Conor McGregor inside of the last year apparently roughed someone up or his crew did, and it was the wrong person connected to the Irish mob. And there were reports that he had a hit out. He had a price on his head that he may still have a price on his head in Dublin. Jeez. So <laughs> this guy, he lives he lives a, you know, a highfalutin existence, and he's making a lot of money and spending a lot of money, but... You're right. Maybe the streets keep pulling at him. Now, all of this makes sense. It's consistent, except winging every story you said that we would try bar fights or Mayweather winging into the crowd randomly. That just seems like it's a whole other thing. But that was a prior incident. So and and I should say maybe maybe you missed it. He was throwing the, the objects at another fighter in the back of the room. Okay. Yeah. So okay. that's what basically what happened. Was so he the, was the fighter, he was trying to hit someone, understanding it was possible someone else might have got hit. The fight. The fighters got uh, the Diaz clan. So he's fought Nate Diaz. They walked to the back of the room and were screaming and yelling. And Conor McGregor got up and started throwing these cans at them and doesn't have a very good arm. If <laughs> they if, came up short. If McGregor really wanted this guy that was on the bus, th- he didn't think throwing that you know, big hundred pound object into the window was going to be his way into the bus. Why not try to get on the bus or just go back to the hotel where the original fight happened and wait from there. Yeah. So if I don't think he was trying to get at him, I'm I've got my hot take of the week Uh right now. Okay. All right. (laughs) We talked about this a few weeks ago and let's say it again is amongst the people that McGregor could fight in the UFC weight class-wise. Give me the two, let's say, that he would be the biggest underdog against if you were making the number. So not trying to split 
the action, no public bias. You, an expert handicap, mm-hmm. give me the name and how big of a dog or how big of a favor this person would be against McGregor. So the original fight for the card this weekend was supposed to be Nurmagomedov and a guy named Tony Ferguson. Those are the two top 155ers by the numbers, and he would be a dog against both. How significant? I think, I haven't if, checked on. If you were making the number. Oh, uh, I mean, you got to consider the Connor action. So probably. No, no, I'm saying forget the bookmaking side. I want. Oh, ratings wise? Uh, if you were actually doing like power ratings, yeah, uh, I, I want to know like what would McGregor win thirty percent of the time? I think Nurmagomedov would be minus minus two fifty, and I think Ferguson would be minus one fifty. Okay, so here's my hot take: McGregor never wants to fight in the UFC again. Ooh, and he wants instead of pussing out where it's like, well, I'm going to retire. What do I have to gain? Everyone's going to look at that and kind of crinkle up their eyes. Does something like this, and again. It didn't seem, and did anything happen that there was like a real chance of someone really getting hurt? I get it. Glass flew. And I'm not saying that's okay. Yeah. But if he wanted to get on, like you said, if he really wanted to come at that guy, there was many better ways to do it. I suppose you could roll a hand grenade under the bus and try right. to blow it up. It's like, all, yeah. But you're kind of going out of fortress, really, when you think about exactly, it. Yeah. So I think he figures this is going to get him even a year and at that point, he can say, hey, F you, Dana White. You gave me a year. I'm never fighting for you again. And it looks like he's a badass on the way out the door. What do you think? Possible. But it's a long shot. Why? I really think this was just total rage. Well, then. Because it's, it's actually, because it's, one, he could serve jail time. But you're, you're right. Eventually, the jail time will end. But he's still well, dealing first with. First off, he's a big underdog to serve jail time. 2018, I think he is. Yeah. I think he could serve in two. Th- I think the date is the problem with that. I actually think he could serve like a month in jail. Okay. But yeah, I also, it makes him seem like a badass even more. But I would also lean towards he's a celebrity. Uh, they'll cut him a deal. It'll be some massive fine. And but he, service. he is getting, let's be candid. Yeah. At the end of this, let's say he serves jail or doesn't. I don't think it affects things all that. If it's a modest amount of time. The Conor McGregor brand, how's it affected? I don't like using the word improved, uh, heightened. He's, he's, he's got more, <laughs> he's got more awareness Got more awareness yeah. and his tough street cred factor goes up. Yeah. So imagine the move that you can avoid. Now, let me ask you this. If I would ask you yesterday, what's the odds of Conor McGregor is going to fight an elite UFC guy in the next two years? What would you have said? Oh, he was going to get back in there. Really? Yeah. Against probably George St. Pierre, who's bigger and it would have been a money fight, but a fight he could win. Because uh, GSP is an older fighter. But okay. but to your point, without knowing all the personnel in the UFC, he never wants to fight the guy that was on that bus, Khabib, because he's a one-style fighter, and it's a style that Conor McGregor can't beat. He's a wrestler, and he will just get tackled and laid on until he's beaten to a pulp. So he never wants to fight him, and there's no benefit to fighting him because he could be even nothing against him. He barely speaks English. He's Russian. He's not a household name here. So there's a point where you want to max out money and minimize risk. Or maybe or maybe it's, hey, this fight's going to happen. This is the way to build it up. You just said it's not a big money fight. Wouldn't it be a big money fight now? Yes. And maybe it's just McGregor thinking. I mean, I'm not saying. Possibly. That, but yeah. he's going he's gonna to get. It's going to cost. The problem is it's going to cost him a lot of money in the interim because it's not just the jail time and it's not a fine or a suspension from the state of New York. The, my guess is there'll be lawsuits. 
Yeah, but, from people on the bus. But the mo- listen, unless you have, the thing can, about unless lawsuits you, have so you can convince them with money and pay them off. Yeah, but the thing with lawsuits is there's got to be damages. So if you get your face cut, maybe you get fifty thousand in damage. I mean, I mean, I don't know if the guy's got a big scar. Obviously, it'd be more if he was somehow scarred. But to me, the money side of this seems to be a small piece of the puzzle. You're right. Even if he paid ten million in damages to to ten different lawsuits. Yeah, but how could no one has a million dollars of damages? Yeah, I don't know all the injuries, so and I do. Like I say all the time, we have a legal insider we use for our local show, and we'll and, actually have some. Yeah, of that we're actually going to talk to the up. guy Justin Watkins uh, on this show. But uh, I always like to run it by him just to see like what the extent, the possibilities are for lawsuits. Well, my number one conspiracy here is McGregor didn't want to fight in the UFC anymore. I mean, how much was he going to make? Like, how much would he made? He so he made a hundred right from Mayweather. Is but you're saying he's spending. I mean, is he spending like I have no, tens no, no. of millions of dollars? I think he spends a lot, but I think he's also wise in investing. I think he has money. Okay, so against St. Pierre, how much would he have made? Debatable right now. Uh, minimum twenty million. Twenty. Yeah, he was well, he was making about twelve per fight. He was up to about twelve to fifteen per fight before Floyd. He makes a lot more than people realize. There's a lot of uh, discretionary pay that's not on the books from with UFC. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. And very lucky, don't bet on it, having Cofield with tons of insight. Just rattling off these names. I would have not <laughs> been able to do that. But your take is a good one because that's what I was thinking early in the day. I'm like, hey, this is all good for him. Nothing's going to happen to him. But when I started seeing the injuries, I was like, oh. Next topic, Stephen A. Smith, Josh Rosen. Instead of trying to explain this one, I'm just going to play it for you. Now, in defense of Jim Mora, he may have been doing it to dissuade the Cleveland Browns from picking him because Josh Rosen, according to my sources, would prefer to be in New York. He's Jewish. It's a stronger Jewish community. He'd rather be in the New York market than the Cleveland market, blah, blah, blah. We don't know. But it's some of the things that we've heard. Okay, Cofield, I think I'm going to have a different take in you on this, so go. When I heard that, I, I thought to myself, wait, you've heard that? Like, have you? do you really have a source on this? Uh, I'm not incredibly offended by it, but it is a pretty strong take if you don't really have a source on it. And if you really well, don't he know, he did Josh specifically Rosen. say he's hearing, but who's he hearing it from? Well, that's what, who, who's the Washington post hearing things from where, uh, tell me the last article that's been written about politics that ever has a name source, right? So my problem here is that I think if he has a source on it, I think the source might be mistaken. I don't think it's any direct tie to Rosen, I, th- I think. How, lot- how do you know that? I th- well, because he's not informed on it. Josh Rosen, his father's Jewish. His mother is Quaker Christian. He's gone on record saying he thinks he's an atheist. That's kind of an important note. If oh. the notion is Josh Rosen is Jewish, he wants to be amongst the Jewish community in a you know bu- big Jewish center like New York or L.A. Like that's kind of a factual thing we should know about. Hmm. Now, maybe maybe he's told someone. I don't know if he's gone on record anywhere. I haven't seen it. And it brings up another. So here was my take. And that's new information for me is I'm going to read what the headline could have been for this and then have example A and example B. And I think they're very different headlines, but it's just a nuance is Stephen A. Smith says he's heard Josh Rosen prefers New York City because he's Jewish. Okay, that sounds kind of bad. The other headline would be, (laughs) or New York City Jewish community appeals to Josh Rosen. 
So I think it's the angle to say, because it only makes sense. And I would say this, even if he's not actively religious, was he raised around a Jewish culture? Because my mom, I'm three-fourths Italian, and my household was very Italian coming up. And because the grandparents that were there every day, both were born in Italy. And I, Italians are Roman Catholic, right? I went, you know, Holy Communion, baptism, well, I guess baptism, communion, and confirmation, the trifecta, and a lot of Wednesdays at CCD, too. Oh, I didn't like that as a kid. But I was never religious, and, you know, when I got out of the house, I was certainly not going to Mass up in Columbus. So can I break in for a second? Yeah. How absurd would it be if you were a draft prospect and someone said, hey, he's Catholic, he needs to go, he wants to go to a Catholic center? In this country, it would, and you would, you'd sit there, and you're like, "Wait, when did I ever say that?" Just because I grew up Catholic doesn't mean that I need to be around Catholics or I want to be around a bunch of churches. But are we talking the religion? Are we talking the culture? Because if if I had a choice between two places at age, let's say 21, 22, and one had like a little Italy, right? I mean, I was just down at uh, I always have trouble with the name down at the D. The Italian place down there, what do you call it? What, Andiamo's? Yeah. yeah. I actually was lucky enough to, to have a, a long dinner with Mike Lombardi and uh, and the wives. And I can't lie, just just the whenever I'm in an Italian <laughs> restaurant, what are you laughing at? Keep going. I, well, like I feel I like comfortable. This. And okay. actually, I've never, I always over order at this place. First time we didn't over order. So I actually considered dessert and they came out with this pistachio deal I'd never heard of before. And I'm like, oh, good. An Italian dessert I've never had before. So I assume you and Lombardi were speaking Italian to each other. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, Vufangul yeah, yeah, one time, yeah. one time, no. the whole time, a lot of gestures, <laughs> throwing the chin thing. There was, a, there was a lot of upstairs. eating, though. Right, I will right. say that we, we had the double tomahawk. Oh, very good. Lobster. Uh, ziti, the lobster ziti, homemade sausage and peppers, and they have the best Caesar salad I've ever had. You ever have the Caesar down there? I have not had the Caesar. They make it table side. I've had the table side at Hugo's. That's good. (laughs) Oh, the salad. Okay. Right right there, yeah. Now, so is it about religion or is it about culture? And here's the thing, is having a Jewish community a proxy for a big city? Because we've already debated where, and we're going to get next into Jim Mora's backtrack. I mean, this is a backtrack you've never seen. Like, quarterbacks playing zone can't backtrack like this. But to me, I thought that was a valid point. If you have progressive attitudes, being in the heart of the Midwest in Cleveland or being in a big city, makes sense you might be more comfortable in a big city. And the Sopranos once, he goes, I'm not, Tony goes, I'm not going to go on the lamb into, in, down into Elvis country. And someone goes, what's Elvis country? And uh, Polly goes, well, there's no Italians or Jews. So there's a stand into, hey, if it's a cultural big city, there's going to likely be a Jewish community here in this country. Is that maybe just a, a stand in or surrogate for, hey, he wants to be in a big city? You're talking about from Stephen A's take? Yeah. Whereas there's is how do you split it up? If you want to hang out around Jewish culture without the religious element, let's say, right. As opposed to saying, Oh, he wants to be in a big city with a bunch of progressives around. 
really sounds like you're saying the same thing. Almost. It's hard to answer without talking to Rosen and without hearing more from Stephen A. Because he basically just threw it in a quick discussion, a rundown of where quarterbacks might land. And I was like, whoa, does he really have info on this? I'm not sure. Listen, Stephen A's got, here's why I think, and, and I say it all the time, Stephen A's been good to me. So, I, you know what? I, I like Stephen A. I'll just tell you, listening to is t- when I was grabbing, because we do a lot of the audio here, we're, uh, you know, died in the old radio guys. We like to grab the audio too. Uh, when I was listening to it, it sounded like just this stream of consciousness to open the show. Which makes me sure. think he's not purposely lying. If you're going to lie, you're going to make a big deal about it to get yield out of yeah, it. Yeah, lying, I would, I would never accuse well, he's, him of I mean, lying. Well, what I I'm saying is, well what I'm saying is that if his he, source was well sourced. Well, but how do you have, I mean, I guess that now you're getting two levels removed, right? If, it, right. if someone tells you something, I've got a lot of guys that, that you know, some on Twitter DMing me, some on text. If someone's right eight out of ten times and they send me something, I take it serious. It doesn't mean they're right every time. So, But the point I was going to make, and then we'll move on to Jim Mora here, is if you're going to risk, you know, let's say making something up, you're probably going to make a big deal about it. You're not going to make something up in passing, right? Because what's the yield? You said it. So if you're proven where, hey, you don't have this source, you're going to get heat anyway. So I think you only, I think most people break the law, tend to only break the law when they think they have a big yield, right? Unless they're Conor McGregor, maybe, but. I guess I'd like to see if, uh, if I, a white host started talking about Lamar Jackson and pointed to the fact that, Hey, maybe he's going to be more comfortable in Atlanta, strong black community with, without, without any source. But isn't that, but isn't that what's said about Boston a lot? Where is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a town that. You know, is is and again, I don't. I know the Boston sports scene, you know, mostly through Bill Simmons and and other things. But is it different to say that someone might not want to go somewhere for this reason versus they they? You know what I'm saying? There is a difference between pointing out a city's history and that there might be some racial issues there, or you know, if you could find a city that traditionally was anti-Semitic and you say, "Hey, Josh Rosen, as a uh, half Jew, we've heard he doesn't want to go to this place." I think, I don't know, they feel different. And I do think the idea of, is this about religion or is this about culture, I think is the driver of this. If it's about culture, it makes sense to me. If it's about religion, I think your fact of him not being religious certainly calls into question. Now, kind of behind or, or intrinsic in your question about, hey, if it was Atlanta, you know, is the idea that the logic of things doesn't always dictate, unfortunately, but it's about sometimes there's double standards. Sometimes there's hypercritical people on Twitter. Well, Jim Mora, coach of UCLA, former, right, is, correct me if I'm wrong, or how, and again, Steve, I think, Cofield, you do a great job recapping stuff, like a old school radio guy. And I say old school, almost like Looney on Fox, like an announcer style. You'd the be best. a pretty good announcer. Yeah, Looney's yeah, I wish, very good. I wish I was Looney. <laughs> is... Tell me what you thought Jim Moore said 30 seconds last week. Like, how how would you recap it? I thought he was trying to match up quarterback personalities and traits to certain cities. And I didn't think it made any sense. But really, it's the flip side of what Stephen A. was saying, which is if you have a desire to be in New York because you think you're going to be accepted, it means at a place like Cleveland, you're less inclined to be accepted. All right. Okay. Now, I've got three separate Sound clips. This is so ludicrous. I am taking. <laughs> I there's never sacred cows. 
here on Don't Bet on It, but I'm taking out. I'm going with the brass knuckles because this is so bad. This one. First off, this is his response, and this is all from the same five minute interview, but it's spliced up, so it's not. This is not exactly how it was, but there. This is entirely just taking the elements from the five minutes that are about how much he's trying Mora to compliment Rosen. And I don't think I've made a statement in the negative about him. Uh, this is a tremendous young man who is a great player. He is dedicated to the game. I've tried to be very clear about how I feel. You know, I love this young man. I think he's going to be a great player. You know, I stand by what I said. This is a, this is a great young man who's going to be a great player. I think he's the best player in the draft. How about that? <laughs> so we got... <laughs> oh my God, scrambling. Ne- never said anything negative. He's tremendous. He used the word great three times, dedicated. He loves him, and he's the best player in the draft. But he's not backing down. That was the key. <laughs> not backing down on this. Except I mean, three points I'll back down on. How, how scared can a one person be of some minority group of people, a small group on Twitter, saying... You know, I think the majority of people would hear this and say, in fact, we gave him the the take of the week last week. Yeah, I don't know why he was being honest. I I think it was actually 50 50 on what he said. I think there were a lot of supporters for what he said. He doesn't have to back down. And you know what? He shouldn't. Here's the thing. If he's now you can debate whether he should say it publicly or not. This is what he's telling everyone in the NFL. He's being honest with NFL personnel people because that's what you need to do because he needs to get a job again. And if he lies about Josh Rosen, they, people can come back and go, hey, brother, why didn't you tell us about this? Why'd you sugarcoat it? So he's being he's being honest with him behind the scenes. I think his logic is wrong, but hey, it's his take. I don't know. why I, I hate when people back down. Just stick to your This wasn't it. backing down. This was know. like kissing the, the ground of, of your opposition. Now, two of three, clip two of three. We got Rosen talking about and digging into the rationale of what people took to be negative, which was this concept of he needed told why. So that was what a real takeaway was for many people is, oh, he's a millennial. He needs to be told why. That's a bad thing. And Mora, he very, very much does not want that misimpression. Being a young man that needs to be intellectually challenged is a positive. That says that he is very, very smart and he wants to understand the game. Saying that he wants to understand why he's doing things speaks to his engagement, his willingness to really embrace what you're asking him to do so that he can do it at a higher level. Jim, let me bring up the why. You mentioned the why thing. Let me show you Josh's tweet here. In that MMQB article today, you said that as as an intellectual, as a millennial and and kids are coached differently these days, that Josh always asks why. And he tweeted this today after reading that. Why? With a little emoji. Hashtag He's great. I mean, listen, I had conversations with him via text this weekend and uh, certainly the fact that I made that statement about Sam has stirred it up for him. He's had to answer questions that Maybe he shouldn't have had to answer. Don't want him to have to do that. But he's got a great sense of humor. You know, the why I think is funny. I mean, if he just goes along for the ride, that's not full commitment. And I think what you're going to get with this guy is full commitment. 
Now that is backtracking. That was a strong close because he absolutely threw his commitment yeah. up in the air for debate. Said, hey, if you don't keep the guy interested, he's not going to be committed. So he threw one grade in there. But there's a couple things here. One is the idea that asking why somehow is superior. If that were the case, why is he backtracking from it? Right. But really what he was saying was in some situations, he's going to get his questions answered and he'll be fine. And in others, if he doesn't, he won't be. So if you tell me I'm going to hire an employee and if this and this happens, he'll be like anyone else. But in theory, oh, but he'll be even better. Okay, maybe. But if it doesn't happen, you're going to have a problem with this employee. Well, unless I think that condition is going to be met always, I wouldn't hire the guy. So, like, it's not, it's one thing to use words like great again and again. It's one thing to not want to stand behind what you said, which I don't like that. But it's another thing to try to twist this where somehow that's a positive that he needed to be told why. He's not making any sense. <laughs> He's not making any sense. The, but the, uh, you're not going to erase this now. Now that this is, this is Rosen's label going to the draft and in the early part well, of his career. I think it's even worse. I, I think all of this makes him look worse. And here's why. Rosen. Because what Morris said was, oh, he shouldn't have to be subjected to. He's going to sign a contract for what, 70 I think million? he was talking about Sam Darnold. No. I thought he was saying Sam Darnold shouldn't have been subjected to no. having to answer questions. Cause, because in that statement, clearly no. he was saying Darnold isn't a... You know, big thinker and a Y guy. No, you're right. There is another element right. to this. He, he took a shot at is, Darnold, too. Who is, who is if you're not as, quote-unquote, smart as Rosen, right. what is that? does that mean they're not as good a quarterback because they're not asking why? There's none of this holds up. But what he was saying is the fact that Morris saying this resulted in the media asking Rosen about it was something this poor kid shouldn't have been subjected to. <laughs> and, okay, I mean, if you love the kid, you wouldn't want him to take any heat. But what in the world could have brought more attention to this than Rosen sardonically tweeting out why? He tweeted out why, and then it said hashtag why. So here's a guy. Didn't he just prove the point that Moore made originally? Mm -hmm. Uh, You think Tom Brady would be tweeting out why? Not before he's in the NFL. He might do it now. I think he's, you know, he's a little really? stronger now. And so he gets but a little strong. But I get your point. It. No, he's a team player. And that's that's the debate. Uh, is Rosen going to be able to control himself? Is he going to be a guy who has the attitude of Aaron Rodgers, but not the success? And I'm not debating if Rosen's my type of quarterback or not, or if he has the right to do this. I'm debating how Moore has a point, and it's atrocious how much he's backtracked. And Rosen's proven the initial point yep. by the tweet, which is drawing more attention to it. Why? <laughs> Why? Now, you think that's enough, RJ. Come on. We've, it can't get any worse. Well, just in case Moore thought there's any doubts about Darnold, that somehow this was a implicitly a negative to Darnold, is we got one more short clip that I hope at some point we're talking about them like we've talked about Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. You know, I'm not afraid to go out on a limb, but I love Josh Rosen. I think he's the best player in the draft, and I think that uh, anyone that didn't want him would be misguided. (laughs) So he's going out on a limb 
saying Rosen <laughs> and Darnold are going to be Brady and Manning. I feel safer saying they might be Manning and Leaf. <laughs> right? Well, wh- one, which one? Who, who's who? I don't know. That's the question. But one might be great. One might be a freaking disaster. All right. This next. is fun, right? Oh, my god. I mean, gosh. we started doing this like two months ago, and it's not going to end until the draft. And then the argument's going to continue after the draft. These quarterbacks are so highly debatable. And then you get a, a coach of one of them. He doesn't know what he's saying. And that segues into our next topic. Lamar Jackson draft stock is rising. Okay. There's talk about in Lombardi on his podcast, no inside info here on his podcast was talking about Lamar Jackson is a Belichick Belichickian quarterback that he really thinks he's underrated. Now, I don't know enough to judge these quarterbacks, right? Uh-oh. But I think the draft stock rising is clearly happening. Agreed? Lamar Jackson? Yes. I'm not sure. But I'm intrigued by the fact that the Patriots now have two first-round picks, 23 and 31. Now, Clay Travis said the following in response to the talk about Lamar Jackson. Quote, that would be a glaring red flag for me if it came to drafting Lamar Jackson the fact he scored a 13 on his Wonderlick. So now here's the question. Is Clay Travis correct that the Wonderlick score matters for quarterbacks? Not completely. <laughs> All right, so how is he correct? How is I think it's a little bit of a red flag for Lamar Jackson. It does not mean that folks who score low on the Wonderlick cannot play quarterback in the NFL. There's a track record of very good quarterbacks who were not good test takers, did not perform well on the Wonderlick. Clay Travis's point was the current Super Bowl winning quarterbacks in the NFL, there's no one lower than a 25. Big Ben had the lowest number at 25. Everyone Which is else, actually above average for quarterbacks. I think it's a little below, mm. but you might be right. I thought average was around 28, which is what Peyton Manning got. Um, but But the winning quarterbacks... Super Bowl winning quarterbacks all had 25 plus and the other four quarterbacks in that top five in this year's draft all had 25 or higher. Baker Mayfield was the lowest beyond Lamar Jackson with a 25. Josh Allen was the highest with a 37. Okay. So this is from Clay. Travis. And by the way, Darnold and Allen sort of cut you off. We're separated by one. So if you really believe the test means everything, then Josh Rosen may not be that much smarter than the lughead Sam Darnold. Well, yeah. I mean, if it's within one, it's a margin of error, you would think. So So this is 2017 from Clay Travis's website. Quote, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks currently playing the NFL have posted an average Wonderlick score of 30.7. Now, your point about, hey, there's this minimum score and no quarterback that's won the Super Bowl has been below it. Recently. There's re- been Super Bowl. Your, your guy, Terry Bradshaw, had a 16. Makes sense. He won. Phil Simms. He, he did win. Phil Simms, who uh, went to multiple Super Bowls, was hurt for one of them, uh, and somehow had an analyst job for 20-plus years, scored a 10 on the Wonderlick. Wowza. Now, maybe not a good test taker, though. <laughs> and, and and that's the question, right? Is Well, one, I think the game's gotten more complicated. Terry Bradshaw called his own plays. Yeah, which was, I actually responded with a bunch of low numbers, because Jim Kelly also had a 16. And Never Clay, won the Super Bowl. Clay, yeah, I know. Clay Travis uh, responded, make, making it clear that one, these are the winning quarterbacks now, and two. So you're you're the, the game. you're trolling Clay on Twitter? No, just retweeted it. I never mentioned his name. He had a lot of his Clayophiles liking. Oh, his, I thought you said he responded to what you. He actually did. 
Without even his name being in it? Without an at in it, now. The, wow. Well, they, they, these guys follow him, and uh, I'll give you another one in radio and TV, Dan Dockich. Dan Dockich especially. He's now, I just Indian. noticed he's been talking about Bobby Knight a ton recently. I just saw, is, he's the guy out of Indianapolis? Yeah, okay. and he does uh, analysis work for ESPN, but he I, he has a search on his name. So anytime you mention him, he responds. Mm. Um, but the other point on on Travis was Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. And he also pointed out that, like you did, the game is more complicated now. So the the score means more now than it did in the 70s and 80s, which I, I tend to agree with. And I think with any test, the question is, what is it trying to measure and how well is it measured? What do you okay. think it's trying to measure? I think it's trying to measure or, or measure your synaptical... Mm, I was going to say acumen, but that's kind of contradictory. I think people... I can just go by my own experience, which is when I don't sleep or if I had some drinks the night before, which I, you know, I really don't drink anymore. Like once a month, I might have two. Right. But usually for me, if I ate a big meal at night and I didn't sleep, I slept four, four and a half hours, I feel a certain way. Right. If I worked out in the morning, slept eight hours and ate some sushi, I feel very different. Right. I think there's a, and I, I think personally, my range of how sharp I feel is probably broader than most people because I'm kind of food sensitive. If I eat healthy, I feel great. And if I don't, I feel, I've got my best buddy. We've been best buddies since uh, kindergarten. He can eat, you know, a, a bag of Doritos a day for three days and he, he he's the same. Like doesn't affect him at all. So to me, I think it's kind of measuring how sharp you are is if I say, you know, two times four divided by three plus seven times eight. Now, obviously we're just talking about numbers here is some people are going to be able to follow that. Some people aren't right. And whatever I'm able to follow, it's better if I had sushi in sleep and it's not. So does that sound right to you? I I mean, it's a pure, it's not, it's not acquired knowledge, right? That's the thing people mistake about. I don't think it is at all, is it? I think some of it is. It's not um, asking you how many states are in the union, is it? I think it's it's a test of basic uh, math, comprehension, and some writing skills. Very little on the writing skills. Reading skills, really. Comprehension. Uh, and we, uh, believe Which me, none of that, I, none I, of that, what you just said is acquired knowledge. I freaking love the wonder. Like, we talk about this every year in sports radio because every year someone in the media... You are tra- a hot take hot show. Well, because every year someone tries to release the low scores to shame the players who get lower scores, and I think that's really the purpose. Um not of the test. So part of it is some basic knowledge. Can I tell you the most important thing? Well, give me an example of the basic knowledge. There's there's word equations. There's but that's again that's not equations. basic knowledge. Like meaning, could you study for this? I think in your studies, you it's not memorized knowledge exactly. So, so that's, that's why that's I said smart. comprehension. Okay, some math skills. Yeah, but, so basic skills. But the other, the biggest thing, it but tests, no acquired knowledge. The biggest thing at test is time and crisis management. It's 50 questions in 12 minutes. So you have to make a decision quickly, especially on the equations. Like, am I going to spend four minutes on this when I've only got 12? And you have to skip questions and go back. And we've actually, we did a, a contest with our listeners and our host at the station locally in Las Vegas, where we did half the test. We did uh, 25 questions. See how good my math is? 25 questions in six minutes. And some people totally flopped. We had a host who basically would not, just was like, I'm not going to answer and walked out. Got a zero. <laughs> But that that was that's crisis. What, what was your score? I had a nineteen out of twenty five, and my partner actually had a. 28. So you would have had a thirty eight? Yeah, I don't believe it. Absolutely, <laughs> it's not that hard. It's the crisis well, management. Why? I think first of all, Pey- I, if Peyton I Manning's think, getting a twenty five, you said he got a twenty eight. 
28? But that, and that, see, he's the great, he's the great example. Am I saying I'm smarter than Peyton Manning? Yeah, maybe in this test taking with the, the questions, I'm pretty good at math. And I was, I was actually writing a lot at the time. So I was be the man. You got to beat the man. I, I was equipped for the test. <laughs> now, Peyton Manning's a great example. Peyton Manning got a, his brother got a better score. His brother, I think, Eli Manning got a 38. Who's the so he's, you, Eli's as smart as you? Well, you could argue, you could argue, Peyton Manning is the smartest quarterback on the field in the history of the NFL. So, what did his 28 really say? Well, first, Lane Gabbard got a 42. What did that say? Fitzy yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ivy League educated, got he a 48. Did, he did go to Harvard. He got a 48. <laughs> Fitzpatrick from Harvard, right? Here's what I was. Saying. I love that you immediately. You're like, you would have got a 38. <laughs> no, I'm impressed. I mean, I, I'm, you, everyone says Cofield's not that sharp. I, say, I, I think he is. <laughs> I think he is. Now you can tell him he would have got a 38 on the winter league. <laughs> I am confident that you would get. Ooh, I I better be careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least a 36. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're so you're so good at math that, uh, and I haven't seen a test in a while. You're so good with that. I would assume that you're going to, you would ace that stuff. So, well, thank you. It and is, it's time, but it, most of it is time and crisis management. If you're a bad test taker, then you are screwed. If you freak out, because it's intimidating. No, I hear you. And, and again, I, I do think the one thing you could learn with that is how I'm a big believer in IQ tests. If you, not in IQ tests as in any great major, but in that if you sat a kid down, or whomever had never taken an IQ test, let him take it cold, and then sat down for a half hour and said, here's a way to think about those, uh, you know, when there's comparisons and what doesn't fit and all that. Just a half hour, IQ probably goes up 15 points. And I will tell you from taking it, I was probably 42 at the time. I was nervous as hell because I'm, I'm like, if I get a bad score... <laughs> <laughs> we're going to hear about this forever. So I'm at, and you got a good score. We're hearing if, about it forever. If you're, well, <laughs> you might not hear me bragging about a 22. If I had flopped, uh, imagine the, the pressure on a Lamar Jackson. you know, if you're not confident from an academic, but if standpoint, you can't handle that, then you can't handle the Super Bowl. So that's, I think, why, that's why I said initially, Hey, Clay Travis on the, you know, saying, Hey, I, it's a red flag. The 13, it is a red flag. I want to see Lamar Jackson with the chalkboard. Yeah, I agree. It, what does it measure? But my last point and our last point on this will be the Malcolm Gladwell concept in Outliers. And, you know, a lot of people throw around Gladwell's name and there's always backlash, right? Is, oh, you know, he's not as good as everyone thinks. I don't know how good he is compared to other sociologists or whatever. But his book, The Tipping Point and Outliers, made me think. And the takeaway with, from Outliers everyone talks about is the 10,000 hour rule. There's another one, though. He talks about whatever you do, natural talent matters in one way and it doesn't matter in another. And here's how it matters. If you don't reach the minimum, then you're aft. You're out. Once you reach the minimum, anything above that doesn't mean much at all. Mm. And it's such a because think about in the NFL. Tom Brady coming out. There's the famous picture of him at the draft looking doughy and all that. If he was 5'9 and weaker, whatever, you know, let's say take 30% of his natural talent away, I don't care how much he practiced. I don't care how much film he watched. He wouldn't have been an NFL quarterback. But once he reached that ability level, that, that, bare, that minimum, then 
the difference between him and Jeff George, the difference between him and Cam Newton, like all Jeff George famous in the old days for the best arm ever. It, it doesn't matter. All By the way, much. also a guy who got a 10 on the Wonderlick. Well, there you go, right? He had everything. <laughs> right. So my gut feeling is, who had, you, you seem to have these scores memorized. Who is an elite? I know Dan Marino had a low score. Who's an elite quarterback? Elite What's the lowest score an elite quarterback ever got? I think those are the guys. Marino at a 16. Kelly, but 16 isn't that low. Kelly at a 16. McNabb had a 14. Uh, Vince Young was inside of. Yeah, well, that's the point. He wasn't an elite quarterback. Yeah. So, so I think I'm naming the guys around a 16 were probably the best. And if you, if you, Sim, some people think Phil Sims is a Hall of Famer, so he had a 10. And it, see, now that one. I mean, I get it. He's not the sharp. I mean, I don't listen to him and think high IQ as an analyst, but he doesn't seem stupid. If you would have said, is Phil Sims stupid? I wouldn't have said yes to that. That's why I think some of it is your educational background. And uh, I'm not sure that Moorhead State is the center of academia. (laughs) But what about the University of Texas? Same thing. I mean, I think actually. Well, well, you, the, I, better I not Texas, say that because no, University of Texas is good, no, is I one think, of the best public schools. I in think the Texas is a good school, but if your if your football program chooses not to make you go to class and educate you, yeah, then yeah, you yeah. don't benefit from it. Just like Louisville may be a good school, but maybe Lamar Jackson wasn't given the chance to get all he could out of the school. So to me, if you're so low, and if you trust the test, and you're so low that that you can't. I mean, we've talked about this before. A typical human can remember seven numbers. That's why the phone number without the area code was seven, right? Seven numbers. You can remember that. If you can remember four numbers but not five, and you ever hear those plays, the way they're called, Z right 28, I think there is a minimum intelligence (laughs) that's required. The question is, is this the best way to measure it? It's part of the measurement. By the way, uh, highest Super Bowl losing quarterback that I know off the top of my head is... From a score standpoint, 38, Colin Kaepernick. There you go. Uh-oh. Well, and again, obviously, <laughs> whenever there's tests involved, right. there's always the question of, is there some kind of bias in them? Right. So the last thing I'll say on that topic, this topic is, I think if you have a really low score, it's not only that, can you remember the plays? It's your life, if your your life skills, right? If you, usually dumb people make dumb decisions, you know, if it's drunk driving, if it's doing drugs. So I think everyone would agree if they had a quarterback they loved. Let's say the Browns know who they're going to take, right? Which is actually a segue to the next topic. I want to take a little bit of a strut here because when we put out the first pick in the draft odds initially, I had Josh Rosen at plus 650. Remember, he had just come out with his... Um, pro day, I think it was in his arm. And it was like, wow, I think people are going to really buy into this. Well, the reports this week, and I know nothing's for sure. So I can't take the full strut yet, but <laughs> I can do a little bit, but it seems like Rosen right now is the, Oh, I'm sorry. Check that is um, Josh Allen is the favorite. Did I say Rosen or Allen before? I, Rosen initially. Rosen okay. a couple of I meant Allen. Allen the yep. whole time yep. is Allen seems to be now the favorite to be the number one pick. I thought he was one of the favorites, if not the favorite based on the way the NFL grades quarterbacks that I knew once he got out to that workout and everyone but somehow was, when he was plus six fifty, you didn't, you didn't say anything. Alan. Yeah. Oh, this could be another case where we didn't get down to it on one of the shows we did, but I said it, <laughs> I said it during his college career because the people writing him off. I'm like, once this guy gets out there at six, five and two thirty five, 
and they see him throwing the ball 70 yards, they're going to go crazy. And it's made Colin Cowherd even more Whoa. fanatical. He's like, Are you dug in on Darnold? Or is he oh, he, no, he's dug, digging in. He's like, <laughs> this guy, he goes, his accuracy so bad, there's no way he's going to. It's like, I, I've never seen anything like it. It's, it's like if he were getting 10% of Darnold's salary, it would be no I different. This is the most fun draft we've had in forever. <laughs> and social media and all the different sports talk outlets now just makes it just it's so over the top. I mean, remember, and again, we, we like, I mean, obviously we like the guys at Fox because we have our radio show on Fox. Straight out of Vegas, Fridays at 11 p.m. to midnight. Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. See, we told you no sacred cows. and But I genuinely respect the heck out of Colin, Joel Klatt, but he had Klatt on. They were double teaming <laughs> saying, yeah, I think the Browns would be making a major mistake. If they, okay, <laughs> a major mistake if they took Josh Allen. So we'll see. We'll see. Interesting. Okay, next topic. So we've got Saban versus LeBron. We got the Triple G fight canceled. That's a short one. Hot take of the week with Manziel. We got a few rapid fire topics, like one minute each, and then get off my lawn. Everyone waits for that. Pregame.com. I'm RJ Bell talking with the hot take, hot shot, Steve Cofield. Saban, LeBron, set up. So LeBron and the website that he works with, uh, the Uninterrupted, are annoyed with Saban and Alabama feeling like there's been some copyright and trademark infringement. This is over barbershop-themed shows (laughs) that uh, Alabama and Uninterrupted are doing. LeBron's show was called The Shop. That started last year. Uh, Recent addition to Alabama football and uh, its website is a show called Shop Talk. So there was a an episode, Barbershop, Julio Jones talking to Nick Saban. So long story short, they sent a letter to Alabama. Let's cut this out. A uh, head of business and legal affairs, Josh Tarnow, said that Shop Talk is clearly using the ideas, concepts, and format previously created and exploited by Uninterrupted in connection with its program titled The Shop. Now we've got a crossfire of... Legal experts. First, oh, no way Clay Travis was avoiding this one. Clay Travis, the attorney, with his thoughts. I'm putting my lawyer hat on here. Lawyers will say practicing law is great except for the client. Um, And that's a common uh, phrase because and what lawyers mean when they say that is we can tell you that you're being an idiot, right? I can sit down with my client and say, look, you don't have a legal leg to stand on here. You're being an idiot. Now, you can pay me to make any argument under the sun that you want me to make. And I will, you know, in some way make that argument to the best of my legal ability, but you're going to lose. I hope that LeBron at least has lawyers who are telling him the truth, because one of the things you run into when you become famous is you surround yourself with yes men. And if you surround yourself with yes men who just tell you that every idea that you have is brilliant, then Sooner or later, you can find yes men lawyers. They'll show up and they'll say, oh, yeah, you're right. There's no way that Alabama should be able to do a video talking about sports from a barbershop. They're stealing from you, LeBron. They're trying to take your idea. And so I don't know if LeBron is getting bad legal advice here or if he's just so unaware of the larger society. This, to me, is why LeBron James is the quintessential millennial. Wow. So... To me, what I always am so, I guess I bristle at, 
is how someone with and, and again nothing against Clay Travis he is he is the hot take uh, hot shot times three or times seven. So he obviously. That's a compliment to me. I think he's yeah. times, times a thousand me. He's very good. So he's very good at creating a position that yes. that's defensible most of the time. And there's a clear side to it, right? Which is kind of the point because you want people either agreeing or disagreeing. But LeBron James, it's hard to say that he's not one of the 10 savviest business guys that's ever been an elite athlete. I don't know about the punter for, you know, who so-and-so, but I know amongst, we've talked about Mayweather, always legal trouble, all the other things that I think reasonable people would be critical of. Mayweather's a great uh, fight promoter. He's gotten his more than his share of the money, right? LeBron is building an empire. It would seem now, maybe it's a house of cards, Right. I can't. I can't judge that. How do you know it's a fugazi? It's a fake. Yeah, I know what a fugazi is. Could be. I don't know, but my guess is it's not. And just that condescending, like, oh, he's got a bunch of yes men. Well, is is the yes men how he is building? You know, hundreds of millions of dollars of value, even beyond his salary, right? So that doesn't rub me too well. I agree. I mean, I think it's uh, it's it's part of what Clay does that uh, ripping LeBron pleases his followers. Now, I, again, on from a legal standpoint, this, this is what the law is all about: is is debating whether there's. And some I'll be candid. I'm not a big LeBron fan. Off, I'm not a big LeBron fan on the court. But you can I, still give him credit for who he is and how smart he is. That he's not going to be. Yeah, just and, and just to be clear, going after Nick Saban for for what? What would be the motivation to recklessly go after Saban? Is he trying to set up a point down the road about paying college athletes? That's well, what's going to happen six months from now. I've got a couple quotes: one from Saban, one from LeBron. I'm going to read. I think it tells a little bit of that story. Okay, but I want to be. I want to clarify my point on LeBron the player. Yeah. I think, listen, I don't know how good Bill Russell was relative to today's players or even relative to the players back then. Oscar Rob, I, I start with Larry Bird and Magic where I have an opinion. I think you could make the case LeBron's clearly the second best player in that era. That, I mean, as much as Magic is one that people will put there and say, you know, Magic then LeBron, I, I watched a lot of Magic Magic had a lot of, uh, he had a lot of bad games, like a lot more than LeBron. I mean, everyone's heard the tragic Johnson. I mean, he's had some bad games in the playoffs. Now, obviously, Magic's in the top five. It's just, all right. And then you look at the longevity and you look at the never getting hurt. I mean, he's right up there. But to me, anyone that says LeBron's better than Jordan, I understand that we have a fundamental disagreement that cannot be resolved because there, to me, I got to believe there is something about what Jordan did in that game six against Utah, where with a minute 10 or whatever left, it was like, they likely are losing that game and they would have been about pick them. I remember the odds, but they would have been about pick them in game seven in Utah. So they were a coin flip to lose. And he went into what we call dad mode, where you're playing your dad when you're nine. He, you're one point from winning, and then he ramps it up. LeBron doesn't have a dad mode. And to me, that difference is all the difference. Because you can debate. And I, to me, it's not about longevity. 
right? You've had Carl Malone or, you know, he had a ton of, I mean, I think longevity helps the argument, but to me, if you had 10 years at the pinnacle and someone else had 18 years at the pinnacle and those pinnacles are the same, then yeah, you give it to the 18 years. But if that pinnacle is is 10% better for the 10 year guy, to me, that's the better player. He might not be the more accomplished player, but that's the better player. Are you open? We I don't think we've ever talked about this, and we won't today. But are, do, do you even debate if LeBron is number one, or do you clearly see Jordan being number one? I agree with you. One and two. All right. So you, 15 hours of local Vegas radio a week, you happen to have the Steve Cofield legal expert. So I've got a legal insider we use all the time, and it's for cases like this because I'm not a – Lawyer, I'm not a practicing lawyer. What? Not, Even without Wonderland score? I know. Uh, <laughs> right? I missed my opportunity. I'm not like Clay, Clay Travis. I don't have an active license I to mean, practice law in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I don't. Right. <laughs> is that where his license is? And Tennessee. Well, then it's still, most people are just in their home state. So. <laughs> just stating facts. You cut I mean, me like, off. I didn't like, get to say like Johnny Tennessee. Cochran was in California, are you right? Doesn't mean he was delivery? a bad lawyer. Question? Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, I'm st- I'm starting to wonder, <laughs> did Rutgers know what they had when you enrolled there? No idea. <laughs> so we're getting his take, <laughs> and it's contrary. The, the thing that really got me on the side of LeBron on this one is that they also do the motif of the barbershop in the videos. If it was shop talk and it was in their studios, then I'd argue, well, shop could be any sort of shop. It didn't have to be the barbershop. It could be... You know, the metal shop. It could be any shop. They're just shop talking. That, that could, that's pretty broad. They have, like, the barber pole in the background, and on LeBron's, he's sitting in the barber chair. And so, I and they're both doing something very similar in a very uh, narrow fashion in, in the media, which is sports talk in a very casual sense, trying to be real rather than trying to be scripted. And so I think I think he's got something there. Boy, I I almost want to say which law school I got into to to make up for your Wonderlick score, but I'm not a lawyer. I did apply. Is <laughs> is that doesn't make any sense? The idea that the motif of people hanging out and shooting the breeze in the barber shop that that seems like that's been around for a long time. Yeah, I don't think it's the concept that is really the crux of a potential lawsuit. Uh, it's if at some point, they actually did get a trademark, and they have a copyright on that type of script. But I don't think you can get. Could I get a copyright on saying I'm going to have a script that's in the White House? You could try. I don't. Yeah, well, I don't think. But there, so. there have been trademarks, and, and there have been trademarks given to ideas that had already been practiced, and then someone decides to trademark it. But you don't yeah. have to be the first one ever to get, comes up with the idea. Not to get too technical with the IP yeah. side, but yeah. a trademark uh, represents a name that identifies either a person or product, right? So like um, uh, Sony is a trademark, right? So copywriting intellectual, you can copyright an original work, right? So Moby Dick or whatever back in, or in today's, um, you know, the John Grissom novels are a copyright, but you can't copyright having some, now if there's a chance of it being mistaken, See, that's the whole point with any of this stuff is, mm-hmm. is it easily mistaken? Right. And that was, someone's that was his think, point yeah. there. Because that's actually the fight we have going on with our local NHL team, the Golden Knights versus the parachute team for Army. Army 
is fighting the now NHL Golden Knights on the rights of the name. Now, to me, this is interesting, but here, this is what makes it really interesting. I am going to read you the quote from Saban, and I'm going to read you the quote from LeBron. I think LeBron James is a great player. There's been at least 20 barbershop type things I've seen. I don't even know he had one. I'm sorry anybody could be offended by something we were just trying to have fun with. I enjoyed it, and we're going to continue to do it. Now, on one hand, he's being respectful, but on the other hand, he's saying, I didn't even know he did. Like, this is so inconsequential that I didn't even know it existed. And then this, like, matter of fact, hey, we're going to do it. So I think that really gives a little insight into Saban. Well, I'm sure he's confident because they've run up by their legal people, too. That's the thing about legal stuff, though, is it's one thing if you're right. It's another thing. Or do you want to pay the money? Because uh-huh. let's be honest, as much as Saban makes, like, oh, Nick Saban makes $7 million a year or whatever, $8 million a year. Well, LeBron could decide he wants to, like that day, he could say, all right, 24 hours from now, I want a car sponsorship deal. It's going to be for more than 7 or $8 million. So... I don't know if the school Alabama would be willing to defend this, but it seems like he's setting himself up for a fight and making it ego-driven here, which I think is a mistake. Now, here's what LeBron said, which is even more interesting. I mean, I think you guys know Nick Saban more than me from a media perspective. You guys know Nick Saban more than I do. So that's exactly what I would think he would say. I built uninterrupted for a reason. And for us athletes to have a platform to be able to speak out about whatever we want to talk about. I respect him as a coach, but I'll be damned if I'll allow someone to use our platform or try to do the same thing we're doing and just think it's okay. So the lawyers will figure it out. Wow. Now, to me, this harkens back to what we were talking about last week. Richard Sherman is the idea of the players feeling like, yeah, we're getting our money, but it's their game. We're playing their game, right? The system. And you hear LeBron, there's a lot of we, like this, is it a royal we, as they say? Or it's, he's the representative, he's the trailblazer, the vanguard of Giving, empowering the players, giving them a platform. So maybe I was hitting on something earlier, like six minutes ago that I said, there's a bigger picture here that he wants to shame Saban and the NCAA for the power they have. And the athletes aren't treated correctly. What means to an end. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause if anyone, as much as the, some players might think that the professional leagues are keeping them down, keeping them from it being their game. Uh, and when I say game, I don't mean the sport, but the, the business game, right? A la the, the wire type game. So on the game though, right? I think you got a good point there is the college NCAA is as uh, egregious as and more egregious than anyone when it comes to keeping players down. But I also think it's LeBron wanting to be a leader, right? Because his career, Hey, his career is, Oh, I don't know if it's five years or seven, but He's going to be alive a lot in, you know, if he has his normal actuarial table lifespan, he's got what another 50, 55 years left. He's going to be playing far less than 10 of those. Right. Yes. So 
it seems like he's positioning himself not only with his businesses, but this is a fight he wants to have, it seems like. He's not going to be Jordan-like in retirement. Jordan just made his money. He's a you know behind-the-scenes business guy and really not a social activist. Or, or well, he, he, was, leader. he was never a social act, but he owns an NBA team, right? You got to give him it's a big little credit yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, next one. And this is it. This is it. And then the hottest take. This is the last one before the hottest take. Okay, Triple G Canelo. Boy, this surprised me. And in fact, it doesn't even make sense to me. So if I would have asked you two weeks ago, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think more than two. If I would have said, what's the odds this fight doesn't happen, what would you have said? Uh, two weeks ago, the the odds that it wouldn't happen, I thought there was a scant chance that it wouldn't happen. So, a week ago when they when they changed the schedule and they said, hey, we're going to have a hearing on April 18th for a May 5th fight, I was like, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. But you're right, two weeks ago I thought, hey, we're going to move on, low limit of uh, Clen with a positive test. Of course they're going to do this. There's too much money at stake. So we've got some sound, but first I'm going to read Max Kellerman an expert in boxing, it's a real true. Do you you respect his boxing? Absolutely. Okay. You can test with VADA Vada. Is that how you say Vada? Yep. Give the impression that you're clean and still have plausible deniability with tainted meat, as that ability to deny because tainted meat can cause it. Okay. Back to quoting. In case you're caught with clenbuterol, all that hearing. Or at that hearing, if it comes out that it's trace amounts consistent with eating tainted meat, I think the fight will proceed. I was involved with a fight on HBO with Vargas. He fought, and it was the exact same situation. It turns out it was trace amounts. The fight will proceed. Except they scheduled the meeting at a time where they weren't able to assess how much if it was traced or not, and that's the very act of scheduling the meeting that then presupposes you have to cancel the fight, meaning so late where mm-hmm. if somehow it got, they would have been you know too much sunk cost into this promotion. So what's going on? I mean, let's say it another way. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, because you told me, and I want to make sure that all facts still back this up. This testing that was done was not required. Right. VADA the, the, is uh, the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association. So the state of Nevada did not make this a prerequisite for the fight. So they choose to have testing that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know if once, was this a situation where Triple G said, we either do this and there's no fight? I don't know that for a fact. Because that's the if, only if way that do, makes any sense. I do sense. know this, that they actually started the testing a month earlier than the last time around. Okay. So. In terms of distance from the fight. When the report came out of the positive test, at the time the report said it was trace amount or low amounts, correct? Yes. And I have read now there's been two tests after the two positives that he was clean. Right. So it would seem if you're way jacked up in a couple of days later, it's hard to be clean. But I don't know enough to know that for sure. But do you agree with me? By scheduling this hearing, the date they did, like two weeks before the fight, it made it impossible, almost impossible, very, very difficult to proceed with the fight. Correct. So why would they? Why, so Nevada created a situation where no matter what the 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 reality was, whatever the evidence turns out to be, the fight was going to get canceled. Why? Canelo created the situation by not coming forward immediately after the positive test. 
Okay, he whatever ran, he mistake ran to San Diego he, whatever and, and mistake hit out, he hit out in San Diego, come to Nevada and try to clear your name. Because I remember we debated this a month ago, uh, and we kept saying, hey, according to Nevada, allowable amounts of Clen were in a system. It turns out that there is no allowable amount. Even if there's the smallest amount, you need to prove why that was in your system. Which makes it even crazier to have Vada involved if that was a, and that's a good segue into our sound. So our sound is coming from um, Steve Kim. And which show is this? So he has a website, UCN Live, and he's a longtime TV analyst. He's been a scribe forever, 20 plus years covering boxing. There is a policy called strict liability, which means... No matter how much of an illegal substance is in your system, or no matter how it got into your body, it's on you. There is no excuse. There is no alibi that's acceptable. And with strict liability being in place, that the commission, no matter how much they may have wanted this fight to proceed, they were kind of painted into a corner. So one, if you know Nevada has that zero tolerance rule, why agree to testing that was unnecessary. And number two, though, forget running to San Diego or not or whatever mistakes Canelo made. And I got no horse in this fight or no fighter in this fight is I might have if they fought. Uh, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing is your belief two weeks ago this fight was going to happen regardless is based upon the old Watergate follow the money, right? There's a lot of money to be made. So if there's any way for them to have the fight, the fight's going to happen, correct? Yes, yes. The very act of scheduling this when they did made the fight impossible, and it's the state that did it. Well, there's a couple of I don't think I, I don't think anyone's given me any even close gonna, to the I, answer I'm here. I'm going to give you an answer. Uh, one, my stance, and I think Canelo's belief in entering the early testing was a lack of knowledge of that strict liability. That is a recent change. In Nevada, that they have a zero tolerance. That's a recent change. I don't think they knew about that. Now, Steve Kim also said, hey, the the tainted meat excuse is fine, but it could also be, hey, the testing started a month earlier than normal, and Clen is used for other things beyond We're weight debating. cutting, and that maybe he was cycling off and just didn't have it all out of his system. But We're- it was Canelo's responsibility to come forward and show the paper trail. What Where was the meat? Uh, ingested, where was it purchased? Where did you get this from? That we just need some explanation. But we're debating a topic that I'm just I don't even care okay. about. And I'll, so I'll I give don't you the care answer. if Canelo did it or didn't right. do it. I want to understand why a state Nevada right. that is driven by money made a decision that guaranteed there was going to be millions of dollars lost. I'll give you the answer. Once they got ensnared in this, they realized that if they let this fight go on, especially with what the fight is following up. You remember the first fight? Good fight. There was a score, an outlier score in the first fight. Triple G, a couple of, you know, a close win, a draw, and then the female judge had a 118-110 in what most people thought was a 7-5-6-6-7-5 fight. She had 118-110. And fight-fixing allegations were thrown out there. You know, gee, damn it, Nevada is screwed again. They're crooked again. Can you imagine the PR nightmare they have if they back Canelo in this case? What do they really lose? But here's the thing. If they would have had the hearing in time for that decision to dictate if the fight goes on or not, it's very possible that the 
levels would have been sufficient to say, you know, these are so low that that we believe that that there was nothing nefarious here. So you went from some chance of being able to legitimately rule in Canelo's favor to zero chance of it mattering. That's what I don't get. I think the fight wasn't selling, and I think they figure let's give it another try because I'm understanding this might it might happen as soon as this fall again. Yeah, it's likely that he'll get a six-month suspension, which is not a full suspension. They'll kind of go middle ground so they can have the fight in the fall. So it, it just... It, boy, but from a rep standpoint, it's like, hey, at least boxing's pushing back against its biggest stars, sort of. Next up, every... No, I think the I think the rep is finally a fight we care about, and now we don't get it. I mean, if any, if you had tickets for this fight, you had your plan. I mean, imagine you're someone that said, you know, I'm not sure about boxing anymore, but it's Vegas. This is the one prize fight I care about, and then all of a sudden now it's canceled a couple weeks before. Yep. Flip side is a lot of people come in as with the fight as part of the weekend because it's Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, I mean, so they're not going to cancel. I don't think they're they getting get no any. Po- I don't think they're getting any points for this. Uh, the the boxing um, powers that be. Okay, every week we do our hottest take. This means of all the takes, this one's the one that feels the most egregious, and we use the euphemism the hottest. And this is Johnny Manziel talking about. This is on the Dan Patrick Show, by the way. He's talking about his failures. If Cleveland did any of their homework, they would have known that I I was a guy that didn't come in every day and and watch film. I was a guy that um, didn't really know the X's and O's of of football. I played in a spread offense. We we looked at bubbles. We looked at flats. We had progression reads across the field. It wasn't like it was a, a super intricate, like, pro system. So what's he saying? Because I think there's two possibilities, and one is as hot as hot gets, and the other I think is not hot at all. And and I'm not sure that it needs to be said, but I think it it makes some sense. So what do you think he's saying there, Johnny Manziel? I think he's laying the blame for his failings at the doorstep of someone else. Okay, passing the buck. If that's what he's saying, it's as hot as hot gets. Because really, he's just said another way in different words. He's saying, "Hey, listen, I was an you know I was a f up, and you guys should have known that, and you should have found a way to make me not be an f up." Right? That's what you think he's saying. Yes. What I think he's saying is he was an f up, and the Browns made a mistake drafting him, and they should have known he was an f up. And maybe there was a implicit like, and if somehow I would have dropped to the fourth round, maybe it would have woken, waken me up, woke me up is then there's still kind of some blame there. Right. But at least then he's saying, Hey, they should have known. And it's easy to beat up on the Browns, right? They should have known that I wasn't ready for the NFL. That seems very different than me saying I wasn't ready for the NFL and they should have fixed it. Right, which I think is really laying the problems at someone's doorstep. But do you hear now that maybe this is just saying they should have known I wasn't prepared, and they may, and thus they're to blame for drafting me. I'm not really to blame. I was who I was. I can't tell you how good I'm going to be, but they're professionals, and they said I was going to be first round. 
And thus, the fact I was a bust isn't really my fault. I was just me. They misevaluated me. I can see both sides. The Browns did blow it, and a lot of people told them before the draft and told the NFL that this guy, as I call it, has affluenza. I don't think he's a hard worker, is a rich kid, doesn't have a sense of urgency, and he's lazy. But the fact that he said it also gets me really worried that he hasn't changed at all, that he's an excuse maker. Well, he kept using the past tense, so. I don't apologize to take care of my family. Someone sat in front of you and talked about their failings at a previous workplace. Would you hire them? And they put it this way. One of the classic questions that if you get any book on hiring is, hey, talk to me about your weaknesses. And also talk to me about what you've learned. Right? Where if I would have hired you three years ago, how are you better today? Now, if the weaknesses are so severe and there's no proof, if a guy would would say, hey, I used to be like uh, late all the time because I'd be out drinking late. But you, this was like your fifth interview with the person and they were all morning interviews and they made it on time all five times. I think, wow, seems like he's overcome that. And I would feel good about I want someone. I'll tell you this. And for the younger listeners, here's a little sage advice from a, a fellow in his mid 40s. To me, if you think of yourself, let's say when you're 18 or 21, let's say either start a a college or end a college. The people who are constantly trying to self-improve, you know, if it's intellectually reading or taking class or whatever they're doing, those people make such strides between, let's say, 20 and 30, where the people with maybe more talent at 20 that that have no desire to self-improve, they're usually the same, if not worse, because talent usually dissipates and passion at 30 and then 40 and et cetera. I love someone that has an upward trajectory in their career with skills, not so much their jobs, though in theory, if their schools go up, their jobs go up. So I, but this seems like whenever you get in and this gets into really, it's a tease ahead in just a minute or two to your get off my lawn, which is when you're dealing with something that's out of people's control you know, like a true mental illness, boy, you want to hope the best for him. But I mean, if history tells you any, and I think there's probably a lot of listeners out there that, that have had people, you know, if it's bipolar or whatever it is that they've loved in their life, or even if it's just a, a deep drug addiction and whatever is causing it, boy, as much as you want, or they might want to fix it. Oftentimes it it's, it's out of their. It seems like it's out of their ability to do so. On Manziel, I think it's a really bad sign when you're talking about the failings of your previous boss. I think it's a real bad sign that you haven't come to grips with. Who that's you a really good point. That's a, that's a, it's one thing, a self-assessment, yeah. but the dry, really, like you said, a big chunk of that was laying the blame. What I, if it was their lack of assessing his talent or not fixing his problems, he was still blaming them. It's on, it's I on think you, that's it's a on good you point. In the end. And I'll, I'll tell you a super quick story. That's a good point. When we were looking for staffers for my local show, we had you know, 75 people trying to be the producer. And I get a letter from one fella and he says, uh, I want to go somewhere where I'm embraced because this place isn't embracing me. And I wrote him back. I'm like, you can't put that in your letter. I can never put this in front of my bosses. Cause you look like you're coming in with a lousy attitude already. Like if the, if the, if the next employer doesn't embrace me, then I'm going to be unhappy as well. You just can't do that. No, I agree. No. Hey, and uh, for those that watch Mad Men, there was an example where Don, wrote Don Draper wrote a letter that say in in a way saved the company, but they turned their back on cigarettes because they just got the lucky strike account cut. But then later 
they gave him awards and stuff, but the business, one business guy said, we will never hire you. Cause if you stab that, you know, on the way out the door, you stab them on the back. You're not going to stab us. So, okay. New feature before get off my lawn. It's called rapid fire reactions. Literally 30 seconds, <laughs> a story Cofield is going to be, have the first reaction and I might have a counter opinion or I might not. Let's start. Clinton Portis gets to slow play his $190,000 Atlantic City Casino debts. So he's worked out an agreement after not being able to pay the 190 k over the course of the last six years, I think is the number. They've worked out an agreement. Anything he makes above $30,000 will go towards paying down the debt at this Atlantic City Casino. And to me, this story was worth talking about quickly because of the following quote. And this is from the New York Post. During court proceedings, lawyers for Portis said he thought he had more than enough to cover his debt. He anticipated $8 million from his NFL contract, but it ended when he was cut from the Redskins a month later. So think about that. You're gambling. You've got X amount on the line. You're like, oh, I've got $8 million coming. And then a month later, you get cut. So it goes to show you, and obviously – a lot of these players aren't making great decisions financially, but it's almost hard to comprehend for a lot of people making tens of millions of dollars and being so broke. But boy, there's been so many, and I think Sports Illustrated did the biggest one of the percentage of these players, not the guys so much that make hundreds of millions. Sometimes it happens, but a guy makes us say 12 million over four years, they go broke a lot. Can't live like you're going to have 12 million every five years for the next, you know, 40 years. That's all it's coming. Story two, Irvin Meyer gets a raise. The Ohio State Buckeyes, 7.6 million. Are college football coaches actually underpaid is what Cofield thinks, perhaps. They probably are. I hate saying that because uh, Saban is in the same range and so is Dabo Sweeney. I'm guessing for what they generate from the school, just from the program, but also the pub for the university, you could probably pay them $15, $20 million and still justify it. I don't like that. It gives them this ridiculous unfettered power is basically the governor of their particular state, but they probably do bring in more money than they're actually paid. A lot it's more a, money. It's a good point, right? Because whenever you complain about athletes making money or whomever, the question is they're getting a percentage of the revenue, a percentage of the profit. and the amount they generate has a, a big say in, in how much that raw number is, right? Here's what I would say talking about hiring again. Steve Jobs talked about Wozniak, right? The guy that was the tech that helped found Apple is he said, listen, if you've got a, a good normal engineer, like, I mean, someone, a company like Apple would hire. If you have a true genius above him, that genius isn't worth 20% more or 30% more. That genius can be worth a hundred times more. And when you really get down to it, and especially in a salary cap league, and that's one thing Lombardi really emphasizes. He said, listen, NBA, that's a player's league, right? And, but in the NFL, almost everybody has about the same talent. Now I get the whole quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, and, but Amongst the teams that have a quarterback, which are pretty much the only teams that's going to make the playoffs. I mean, do you really think the Eagles have that much more talent than the Vikings or 
the Rams. I mean, they're all so close. It's a coaching league. And a guy like Belichick, who is so far, and, and you know, Lombardi said, he goes, the NFL has a lot of gym teachers as coaches. And that surprised me because I'm always thinking, hey, Belichick's here, but boy, even the 32nd guy's got to be really good. Well, he is really good compared to a high school coach. But just that idea of how much better is Urban Meyer than a typical college coach. And to me, I'd rather, if I didn't have an elite coach, pay someone, let's say, a half a million and save the money if you're only getting replacement. But if you have a chance to get one of those handful of super elites, they might be worth 20 times as much. So John Gruden's getting 10 mil a year. What should Belichick get? Well, first off, I don't think Gruden should be. A, I, I personally think Gruden is going to be a below average coach. But if that's a new number, if 10 million is a new number. But that's a new Sean, number because of the or, PR. Or Sean right. Payton, who's been around the game for a while, is making seven. Belichick should make like 15. Yeah, or, or may, again, maybe more. I think maybe, another maybe example is if you take an average coach, yeah. what's an average coach make? About $4 million, let's say, in the NFL? I think Belichick should probably make, I say, seven, eight times that. <laughs> I mean, that, wouldn't that be amazing? He's yeah. Making like 30 million a year. But, but the question is, it, I mean, but now here's the other thing how much money you make in the NFL, if, if it was like a winner take all, Wow, that's a fascinating idea. And we'll have to just write it down and move <laughs> on. Is if somehow, some way, all the leagues split half or all the teams split half the money evenly. And then the other half was only the playoff teams got it. And it was super weighted where a Super Bowl winner got like a humongous, almost like the World Series of Poker type weighted towards the top. How much would Belichick get paid then? Because you could make the case now, you know, how much more money are the Browns really going to make if they start winning? Not much more. So maybe it's not worth paying them more. But if winning was the only thing that mattered, I think it would be. Okay, Derek Stevens, Vegas casino owner. You had him on your show, Steve, right? He had the million-dollar ticket on Michigan, and he ended up hedging out. So though Michigan did not win, obviously, he still won $25,000. He would have won well over a half million even losing his hedges if Michigan had won. What do you think of him hedging? I'm fine with it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna question a guy hedging. Twenty five thousand is still a lot of money, but I feel like when we did our Fox show last week, straight out of Vegas, you were all over Fezzik, who was gonna hedge his He 16, had a sixteen thousand dollar right, ticket. He was gonna on hedge Michigan. to win, I think it was either thirty five hundred or six thousand. Brad Powers had a ticket for like four K. He basically hedged it so he'd win like nine fifty, guarantee nine fifty, but I feel like you were calling those guys wimps. Well, I, well, I wasn't feel like I was calling <laughs> because here's my theory. And, and we get this more than anything. And we talk about this on our dream preview. So if you like the handicapping stuff, every Wednesday AM all through the spring, we're going to be doing NFL previews, all kind of great, all, obviously NBA talk, baseball talk too, and college football previews, all of it. Um, I'll give you the quick 30 second version. If the money's life changing, then you're willing to take a lesser percentage. If it's a hundred million, 50% chance for me, I'll take 30 million. If that's my only choice, because I'd rather have 30 for sure than 50% chance at a hundred, which the math says is worth 50 million. Right. But I, I'm going to hedge out of that, even if it's super expensive, but if it's not, not life changing, the only other time you hedge, in my opinion, is if the second bet is a good bet by itself that you would bet that hedge bet, even if you didn't have the first bet, then you're hedging for free. There's no expense. Otherwise, there's an expense to hedging. Why pay it? That's my point. 
Now, that said, Fezzik did say he liked Villanova in the game. Thus, he thought he was hedging for free. So, maybe not so much. He outright said, I don't want to sit there and watch Villanova blow out Michigan, basically giving me no chance. Yeah, but he also said he would have made a small bet on Villanova by himself, even if he was naked, without the Michigan ticket. So, I'm going to excuse him for that one. And you know the thing about Fezzik is, I'm the dirtiest player in the game. So, he's usually doing the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) I did not expect that. Three quick NFL, or I'm sorry, check that NBA topics, 30-second rapid fire. Kyrie Irving out for the season. How do you think that impacts his future in Boston? A lot of talk on this on the Talking Head shows. I think it puts it into question. Does he have a knee injury that's never going to go away? He's prone. I think that's fair. Lonzo Ball, he looks like he's out for the rest of the year. Was his season a disappointment? Wrong guy to ask. I'm like the biggest Lonzo devotee. I thought... By what I expected, I thought it was fine. By what his dad said, that was a disaster. His dad said he was going to be better than Steph Curry. I think it was below expectations in the media. Right. But I think if you're magic, you got to feel pretty good. 10.7 rebounds, seven assists. He'll, they'll fix his shot. He's going to be a good player. Last one, force bat. We're going to start doing some of these. Do the Sixers have a better chance, A, to beat LeBron if they meet in the playoffs? If they don't meet, this is a moot point. If they meet in the playoffs, Sixers beating the Cavs, A, or B, the Sixers signing LeBron in the offseason, which is the better chance? Better shot signing. Wow, I totally disagree. I think he has a much better shot. Hey, even if the Cavs, and again, I'm just going off minus 400 in that series, that's implying about a 20% chance that the 76ers win. Do you really think there's a 20% chance he's signing with the Sixers? Yes. I think they're a real wild card now. Wow. Okay. We're here finally. Last topic. Get off my lawn. Steve Cofield, he's rapidly approaching 50, and he's got some sour attitudes. Go. Well, this is for you as well. (laughs) You know, it comes down to workplace and name calling and being mean and what crosses the line. So Jimmy Patsos, the coach at Siena, is in trouble. He's under investigation for allegedly verbally abusing a team student manager who has a mental disorder. Now, the mental disorder, and I'm not Dr. Cofield, is... <laughs> Even without Wonderlick score? I know. Obsessive compulsive disorder. D- described here in this story as a mental condition that can cause unwanted and repeated thoughts and behaviors. It can also cause severe anxiety. Uh, according to the report, Patsos called the student the next Unabomber. He also called him insane. And then maybe where it really crossed the line, because I think you could claim, like, hey, I didn't know he had this condition. So name calling is cool. It's mean. Uh, the one where he might have crossed the line is he teased the individual about medication involved with his mental condition. So then, to me, that suggests he knew about the mental condition. Because I would lean on the crutch, like, I don't know his medical history. I don't know all the conditions he has. If you have, you, really, what you're saying is, hey, I'm Steve Cofield. If, I, if all of my. Lashing out at people is going to be judged by their hidden conditions that I can't win. Well, this one hit home for me because I work with a guy that we used to call the Unabomber. <laughs> but it was just based on his dress. He would wear the hood and the glasses all the time. No, I don't. Th- I think it was more. Nice. And I also have someone at work that I label crazy so-and-so on the air. So I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think this all ties up, though. So what is your rant? What is your get off my lawn? You're saying, let's be candid. You're backing off a little bit. What you're saying is toughen up snowflakes. 
And if, if, if you got a mental condition and I call you crazy, deal with it because I'm the hot take hot shot, Steve Cofield. You said it, and I think I said that like six hours ago elsewhere, but now I'm getting nervous. <laughs> well, here's the thing, because I've been name called at work. Uh, I don't know. I was wigging out last year at work. One of the bosses is like, are you on heroin? Now, I, I mean, frankly, I could turn around and go, yeah, I'm not a drug user. China White, is, baby. That is highly offensive. I would like to file a complaint. You know, I mean, to me, and obviously this is a huge discussion online, you know, some people, every, you know, hey, every word matters. Other people, hey, you're too sensitive. To me, I think it's both, meaning, let's be candid. If you stop and think for a minute, not many people want other people to feel bad. I mean, really, it, it, you might be angry in a moment and you do something that makes someone feel bad. But if 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 you're sitting there and you're eating lunch with someone that says, hey, Push his button, and this guy that you might not like all that much is going to have like severe knee pain for the next twelve months straight, where like he, he's having trouble sleeping. <laughs> Most people aren't going to do that. Now I'm not saying you or would or wouldn't. <laughs> But mo- most wouldn't. I, I, I got to believe that. And if I, I did it, I might have moments where I'd feel bad a little <laughs> bit here and there. Nah, that's Steve Cuff. Yeah. Now, <laughs> Uh-oh, the ear. More letters, more text, more, more tweets. S- send it to the home office. <laughs> <laughs> and Provo, Utah. No. is. But on the other hand, I think making people feel like being a normal human being somehow makes them evil or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call, you know, insensitive. I think that there's a lot of people, a vast majority that offend people that don't want to. So instead of making out where it's a moral failing, I think it's about saying, Hey, let's find a way to try to minimize this. And I'm not talking like a boss. I'm talking about just in life. You say, RJ, what's the answer to this? I think both sides have a good point. If you're going to feel bad about something, yeah, maybe you should toughen up, but you're not. That person isn't tough, so they're going to feel bad about it. So why would you want them to feel bad? On the other hand, if you, in your natural flow, make that person feel bad, I would hope you would not want to. But when it feels like you're being demonized, it's not about, did I make that other person feel bad? It's about someone else is trying to tell me what to do. And to me, I don't think either side on this see the other's perspective. I'll give you the real rant on this. So this dude is 77 and 92 in five years at Siena. Larry Eustace just had a losing season at Colorado State. He was accused of something similar, terrorizing his players, throwing cans against the wall. If we're really going to police this and say coaches shouldn't be bullies and mean, which I, you know, I was joking about it. I'm fine with when I, believe me, when I'm bully and mean, uh, when I bully and I'm mean to people afterwards, like immediately afterwards, I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Um, the problem here but is... it doesn't seem to stop you the next time. I know. <laughs> I'm a, I have a condition. Right? I don't know what it is. Yeah, you've got a di- condition. I need it diagnosed. Oh, I, I probably do. Uh, but the point is, uh, this is so hypocritical in college sports because I think coaches do this all over the place, but they only get called on the carpet when they lose. So why not do it when they win? Why not police the behavior and stop it completely? Which has a whole other debate, right. too. Right? But that, that would be my rant, is that this guy clearly is in the crosshairs and in trouble. If he were, what is this, 169 games? If he were 120 and 49, RJ, you think this would be a case? No, but then, but maybe it should be. Meaning, if it should be yep. other times, maybe it should be. And I'm, and like I said, my position on that is, uh, I think I made pretty clear. Well, I tell you, good show. One last announcement is... We talked about Derek Stevens. Next week, 
He's coming in. Vegas Truth. Freegame.com offices. An interview. Two hours scheduled. We're going to find out everything. He bets every day. His vision of Vegas. This guy, is he a billionaire? He's going to be. If he's not, he owns all of downtown pretty much. He's buying lunch. We're ordering in lunch. We're doing this over lunch. <laughs> he's he's calling it. He's he's ordering in Derek Stevens. That will be out next week. Remember, guys, get all the podcasts. It's the same feed. Just search RJ Bell on your favorite pod player and subscribe. Or at RJ in Vegas, but that's not as good on Twitter. Mr. Cofield? At Steve Cofield, C-O-F-I-E-L-D. Talk to you next week.